0: Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast and the class today is dedicated to Lunishmat, mm-hmm. Hanale Bat Shraga and Shimon Ben David by their daughter Raisi Katz. Breakfast and the class is also dedicated for the Zichud of Shiduch for Pesia Bat Devora Edel, Rivka Mindel Bat Frumit, Rachel Esther and Alta Bat Esther Chaya by Freda Karniol. Carn- <coughs> is that yes? Okay, those are the same. My friends, the parasha begins by giving us an exhortation. It tells the the fathers of all of the young kohanim. Emor el kohanim b'nei aharon. Our rabbis say on the pasuk, emor ve'amarta, <speaking in Hebrew> what does it mean? What does it say? Emor el kohanim b'nei aharon, ve'amarta alihim, the nefesh lo itama ve'amav. So it sounds like a little bit of a strange thing, because you just told us, emor el say to the Kohanim, and then you're gonna tell me again, emor el ve'amarta and you shall say to them, "La nefesh lo a person should not become uh, impure, they should not make themselves, or uh, have the exposure to someone that's passed away, which is the highest form of Tum'ah, Tum'at Met, okay? So all the mefarshim asks, what, the, what is this emor ve'amarta? And they quote the Gemara, and uh, Rashi brings it down. What is emor ve'amarta? What is it coming to tell you? It might be Torah excuse me. Rashi says, lehazhir gedolim al-kitanim. Which means, the reason why it says the word twice, emor ve'amarta, so effectively, imagine this, the literary structure of this sentence. And God says to Moshe, right? Tell the Kohanim, and tell them, what, tell them what? And tell them. What did you tell them in the first part that you didn't tell them in the second part? more el lo Now there's many different interpretations over here, okay? But clearly, what, what one of the things that's really important is the reason why it's telling us emor amarta is because we're telling you to tell somebody else. That's the point. Now the interesting thing over here is that um, The truth, the truth is every single mitzvah is le hazir gedolim al kitanim. Think about it. Let's say I tell you the laws of kiddush. So you have to go teach your son, right? Let's say I tell you the laws of tefillin. You have to go teach your son. If I tell you the laws of hadlakat nerot, you have an obligation, or your wife has an obligation to teach your daughter. Every single mitzvah in the chinuch. In the uh, in the Torah has an mitzv- has an obligation of chinuch of educating your children to follow in the ways of that mitzvah. So what in the world is going on over here that specifically we need to be told by the Torah? Emor ve'amarta. Of course, like every other mitzvah in the Torah, you have an obligation to teach your children. Now, where do we find this obligation of teaching children in the Torah? We find it in a few different places. We find it in the Kiryat Shema. We say Vishinantam. And you will teach your sons. Right? And you, and you will speak in them, in the mitzvot of the Torah. You'll teach your children to love Hashem, to fulfill the mitzvot. We find it on the night of Pesach, Those are not examples... Of chinuch, of children, you know, of, in, the, in the specific. Because in both of those cases, you're telling the child something which is not about the mitzvah in that specific case, but rather much broader. So how many mitzvot in the Torah are zechel tziat misrayim? How many mitzvot in the Torah does the Torah say, and remember, you were a slave in Egypt, don't treat someone else that way, don't treat a convert, don't treat someone who's passing by in a way where you're taking advantage of them. Someone once tried to take advantage of you, tell your children. That's not tell your children about mitzvah number 72. V'shinantan bevanecha is about a very broad concept. Here is an example that we took one mitzvah from the Torah, we isolated it, and we said you have to tell your children about this mitzvah. Why? What's happening here? So I still remember reading a a very beautiful answer, and an answer, I think, like most other answers, that really gets you thinking when you talk about the concepts of chinuch, and talk about how a person is supposed to raise their children. Okay. And as you'll see, this application actually is wider even than raising the children. And let's, let me explain. You have a kid in school. The kid has to eat kosher. My son never came to me to complain, or my daughters never came to me to complain. It's not fair. Why do we have to eat kosher? You know why? They go to an old jewish school. All the kids that they know are Jewish. Everyone that they know has also an obligation to keep kosher. So therefore, they don't feel left out that they have to keep kosher, correct? You tell a kid, you know, you can't steal. The kid doesn't, oh. But go tell your kid, if you're the only religious kids in the neighborhood, you have to come to shul. And the kid has everybody else who's going to play football in the park. Now the kid says, oh, why do I have to come to shul? Why can't I be with my friends? All of the mitzvot in the Torah, which are relevant to Kohen Levi Israel. This kid, he goes to school, he sees every other kid in the class has to do that too. He doesn't feel bad about the fact that he has to do this mitzvah. But when it comes to asking of a child something that his friends don't have to do, because he's a Kohen boy, not only that, by the way, even his sister doesn't have to do because a, a woman who's a kohen doesn't have an obligation to stay holy okay good back in time Beta magdash if she wanted to eat from tirumah she also had to be she also had to be in a state of tahara but that's not because of her state of tara in general. A kohen was never allowed to. The, a woman was; she had a choice. She could go become tameh, not eat tirumah. This, you know, until she's tah- tahor again. And that was a choice that she was making for herself if she wanted to go to a funeral of a good friend, of a grandparent, of whatever. For a kohen, he doesn't have that option. The kid said, "Not fair. I don't want to do it. Why do I have to do this?" Says the Torah, "Emor ve'amarta." Say to the Kohanim, the le'hem, and say to them, The nefesh lo Now, it's not enough to just draw this distinction and just say that the pasuk is coming to tell you, educate your kids, educate your kids on the stuff that they're going to feel bad about having to do because they stand out, that not everyone does them, right? It's not enough to say that. That's not what the Pasuk is communicating here. Because the truth is, you, you have an obligation of chinuch and all mitzvot. And the Torah is what? Telling you just be more careful with this one? Rav Shamsha Rafal Hirsch says something that's so beautiful. He says, the Torah here is not telling you only that you have to educate. The Torah here is also telling you how you go about educating a child that feels that they have to do something different. Says Rav Shamsha and Rafael Hirsch, if you read the Pasuk, at first glance you think that there was nothing said in the first Amirah. One more time. Say to the Kohanim, and, and say to them, say to them what? Take a look. It doesn't say say to the Kohanim. It says say to the Kohanim, Bene Aharon. Communicate to the child, says the Pasuk, before you tell him what he can't do. Tell him who he is. Spend some time building the child up. Explain to him, you are a Kohen. You know who your grandfather was? Aharon a kohen. You know what the job of the Kohanim is? You know what the privilege of the Kohanim is? You know what the advantages of being a Kohen is? After you tell the child everything positive about being a Kohen, you tell him, but in order to keep the status, you have to stay Tahor. It's a completely different ballgame. In most instances, when a person is teaching their son, you know, they're thinking about telling the child what they can't do. But they don't spend the time thinking before they tell the child that, how to frame the education in a way where the child doesn't look at it as a negative thing. Is everyone following me here on this? Suddenly you start to realize, actually, this is not only about educating a child that's a Kohen. How about educating a child that maybe his friends are not as religious as him? You can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Why? That's the halakha. The kids like, I don't care about the halakha, I'm eight. Right? So the first thing a person needs to communicate to the child is a feeling. A feeling of... Uh, Of joy, a feeling of special, of specialness if you will. Something that's wonderful about Shabbat. Something that's beautiful about Shabbat. The idea of Shabbat treats might be a deal, right? (laughs) You went out, you got the kid all these amazing things for Shabbat. Now the kid thinks, wow, Shabbat is amazing. Okay, I have to, in order to get all the treats at home on Shabbat so there's all these other things that come with it. Fine. That's the price I'll pay for treats. But emor el ha aharon, before you tell them anything that they can't do, what did you tell them about the value that they get? What did you tell them, and increasingly in our world, when I meet people who are not religious, it used to be, I mean, I wasn't even really kind of in the scene uh, at that time, but a lot of the Baal Teshuvah movement happened back in a time when people had to be, it needed to be proven to them Judaism was true, that God existed. People wanted the, the evidence. How, what's the evidence? How do you know? How do you know it's real? They were very concerned with Torah. They wanted to know, how did you know that all these things were correct? Today, if I went to your average secular Jewish person, I said to him, here, I have absolute irrefutable proof that there is a God and that you have to do mitzvah," What would they tell me? Get lost. Today, we live in a post-truth society. We decide which things that are true we want to believe and which things that are true we choose to care about. So as an example, you might have someone who understands fully that smoking is going to give him cancer and he's going to die earlier because of it and he still takes a cigarette. On the same token, that same guy goes to the gym three times a week. Right? Same, so he decided that he cares about this truth, which is that he needs to stay healthy and stay in good shape, and not care about this truth. You know, you have some people who say, at this stage of my life, I care more about cookies than abs. <laughs> Right, that's a person's choice. He's making that choice at that moment. I know it's gonna make me fat. I'm under no illusions that I'm in good shape, but I really don't care. I'd rather live a life where I could eat nice food, have a good time, not only eat kale, right? Where every smoothie I have is not dark green, right? I'm good, I don't mind. I'm I'm happy, I don't mind having the calories in a nice shot of scotch, no problem. How many calories, I don't care. This points where we care about, you know why? Because increasingly we are driven not by truth, we are driven by value. What do I get from this thing? What does this thing give me? How does it make me feel? If it makes me feel great, then I'll work on it, then I'll do what I need to do. Uh, rabbi, I, th- I thought it was a roll of toilet paper. I thought like, this is a confident rabbi walking strutting through the thing, holding toilet paper. <laughs> Sure. It, turns, it turns out it's tickets, okay. <laughs> all right? Um, but that rabbi, I just, using that idea, now I realize what we have to do when we run out of tickets. Just get the door, to- right, okay. <laughs> all right, <More> so
1: <laughs> anyone
0: listening to this recording is like, what is going on in this shul? Okay, now listen to this, Rabotai, all right? Emor Now I want to share one thing with you, and I think this is a very powerful idea. The concept of chinuch, which we think applies to children, actually doesn't only apply to children. Let's use the words again of the Chachamim. The word Lehazhir means to warn. But ironically, the root of the word Lehazhir could also come from the word Zohar. Everyone is familiar with the term Zohar. What does Zohar mean? We all know what to mean A book of the Kabbalah, that's how we understand it. Okay, that's what the Zohar is. But the word Zohar, what does it mean? It means shine. We talk about the people who've passed away, the tzaddikim of last generation, we say, Ki Zohar Harakia Mazhirin. They shine like the like the lights of the heavenly of the heavenly bodies. The sun has right a, a shine. It, it it illuminates. That's what Zohar means. Le Hazhir. gedolim al means that you make the gedolim shine ala ketanim. You tell the young kids who are looking at LeBron and the young kids who are looking at uh, Julius Randall, these are the heroes of their society, these are the most important people in their world, go and tell them, lehazhir gedolim, look, Edmund Safra, he was a big Baal you know, you probably never heard of him in school, you never did a, a project on him, but he was someone that cared about every poor person. He was someone who cared about the community. This great rabbi, Kamubadi Yosef, this is what he did. La You make your children excited to emulate true great people. So what do we do? We tell this kid, you know who your grandpa was? Bine Aharon. You know how special he was? You know how connected he was to every person. You know what, what kind of a person he was in terms of shalom, Virodef shalom. Once a person sees that that's who he is, he knows to behave in a different way. When you want to educate a prince that he can't run around and get his clothes dirty with the mud like the other kids, what do you do? You take him to one of the king's ceremonies and they have the gold and they have the diamonds and there's all the newspapers and you take him in the private jet. Now the kid understands this is the value of being a prince. Okay, not getting my clothes dirty is a price I have to pay. Rabotai, chinuch doesn't only apply to children. It also applies to oneself. Because even within you and I, there's parts of ourselves which are gidolim, and there's parts of ourselves which are ketanim. I'm not referring to going to the bathroom. Gidolim and kitanim, I mean, is that you have times when a person is connected and inspired by the mitzvah of tefillah. So when it comes to coming to shul, the guy comes to shul, he loves to pray. He comes, he, he loves the first minyan on Shabbat. He comes with his friends, amazing. He's, come, he's really gotten into coming to the synagogue to pray. But he can never stay 10 minutes for the class. Because learning Torah, eh, that is a, he's a katan in that realm. You have a person who's gadol in chesed, katan in humility. So he loves giving the charity, but he needs everyone to know, not only that he gave it, how much he gave. Right, tell him Rabbi, tell him, that the, you tell him what kind of a guy I am. The rabbi will tell you how much, you know. Whatever, i like to keep. and then right after someone will say something of incredible arrogance, what do they say? Look, this is not why I do it. I don't do it for the, the, the fame, I don't, you know. Right after, right? I like to, you know, I, you know me, guys. Guys, you know me. I like to fly under the radar. <laughs> You know, Rabbi, could you print this in the bulletin, how I like to fly under the radar? You understand? He's a gadol in tzedakah, but he's a katan when it comes to gava. In every single area of a person's life, you are mazhir gidolim al-kitanim. You allow the shine of that which is big and that which is great to raise and to educate that which is small. So let me give you an example. Let's say there's an example of tzedakah. Let's say this is my challenge. I give tzedakah, I do chesed, but I want everyone to know about it. You introduce yourself to a case of tzedakah where it's impossible to do it with arrogance. A case which is so secretive, which no one is allowed to know. If anyone found out, the person would be devastated. So the only way to access the element of gadol your strength is by conquering your weakness. So let me give you an example of how this works. Let's say you go to the gym, and a person wants to do—they want to bench press. Okay, they're trying to lift weights, right? Now, all of you will know—I mean, some of you more than others—but all of you will know that the way it works is: How does a person lift when they're doing when they're bench pressing? What muscle groups do they use? They're not using the abdo. What do they use? Right? They use your chest muscles unless you're doing it wrong. right? But there's lots of times where a person um, it gets to a place in lifting that they can't lift anymore. So you think that the solution to that is really to work out the chest more. Problem is, this is how you work out the chest. So what do you do? How do you move to the next stage after you plateau in bench pressing? What do you do? So if you ask anyone, they'll tell you, you work on your triceps. Why? Because that first push comes from your ability, number one, to grab the bar correctly, but number two, to spark the push. It's very similar in running. A person in running, if they want to run, that's their calves. That's their, excuse me, their thighs, the, you know, the, the larger muscle of the leg. But if you want to sprint, sprinting is all in the calves. If you want to jump, explosive jumping for rebounding in basketball, where is that? That's in the calves. Okay, So a person understands that sometimes there's an area where I'm deficient. And what do I do? I look to an area of strength to be able to help me provide that element. You're lifting bags. Your hands don't have the, the weight. What do you do? You ever see people? You, eventually your hands are killing. You put it on your shoulder. You take a part of your body that's capable of handling that load. And you move it from your wrists. To your shoulder. You move the burden of lifting it from your chest. At least that initial push. To your triceps. If there's something you're struggling in. Move the area of struggle. To a place in your life. Where you're already a gadol. And that eventually helps the person. Climb mountains. That they keep slipping down. Emor fe'amarta. Say to them, Kohanim bne Aaron, lo Hashem, we should be zokhe, Rabotai, to identify our strengths. And if you truly understood the nature of how Boreo Olam created human beings, you'd understand that it is not a haphazard mix of things that you're good at, and things that you're strong at, and things that you're weak at. Rather, the key. All of the locks, all of the locks are your weaknesses, all of your strengths are the keys. Each one of your strengths was put into your character and into your persona to unlock one of your weaknesses. And when you start to see, if you make a list of the areas that you're challenging, I don't mean driven by the mitzvah, because the mitzvah is not the weakness, the mitzvah is just the symptom of the weakness. So as an example, I might be a person, right, that, uh, you know, I'm just weak, I I can't handle anyone, you know, not liking me. That's my weakness, I'm a people pleaser, as an example. Okay, so what happens? So I can never give So I think it's a weakness that I don't uh, rebuke people. But that's not your weakness, the weakness is not that, that's the symptom of your weakness. As an example, if everyone in the shul says that they want to start the minyan at 9.30, I should really stand up and say, no, rabbi, guys, 9.30 is too late. Kiryat Shema. Zaman Kiryat Shema is already 9 o'clock. We have to start a little bit earlier. But I don't want to say anything. I don't want to say anything because people won't like me if they don't say anything. That's another example of how my people-pleasing ways is going to cause me not to do the right thing. Okay? I'm in a situation on Shabbat everyone's like come on already had you? just get in the elevator just come to the item they were going out to eat in a restaurant Fikni bar just get a salad get over yourself right what happens if a guy's a people pleaser he falls in random mitzvot kashrut his problem is not kashrut his problem is he's a people pleaser so what does he do look in your character for something which parallels that which is a particular strength and the minute you follow through on that strength, it's like you stuck the key in the lock and you opened up something that you didn't know that you could open. That's how Boreh Olam created every person. Ze le'umadze para elokim, And on a very deep level, and I'm just going to leave it with this, it's why when Boreh Olam created the world, he didn't create Adam and Chava, he created Adam and Eve first together as one being, and then later he took a rib out and separated them. And it always made me think, that's a little bit of poor planning on God's part. No, you're going to eventually separate them. Don't put them in and then separate them and then give Adam the operation. Just make a man and a woman separate from the beginning. The answer is, it was to illustrate to us that there is a strength in being a Zachar and there is a weakness in being a zakhar. There is m- strengths in the male persona and there's weaknesses of the male persona. There's also strengths in the female persona and weaks in the female persona. God said, for every element of zakhar in your character, I created Nekeva. And for every element of Nekeva, I created zakhar. In yourself, this is true. And in marriage, this is true. But that's why Boreo Olam created the world in the way that he did to allow a person to always be, if they're looking and they're noticing and they're willing to put in the work, to be able to, to win his battles a hundred percent of the time eventually. May Hashem bless us to have the prescience, the patience, and the power to be able to push ourselves past the finish line. Baruch Amen